thank you for being here in worship today. And let me add my greeting to, uh, to the Mercer football team and Coach Chronic, wherever you are. Thank you for, for setting this up. Thank you for being with us today. In church, we need to return the favor. So this season, I want you to go and see some games at Mercer. I know some of you like to drive to Athens or Auburn or Atlanta. It's much easier to drive 15 minutes to Mercer to find parking there and to go and cheer for the Mercer Bears. This is an old joke that you guys have heard so many times before, but when I was at Mercer, our football team was undefeated all four years. I know it's such a bad joke. Um, But we expect great things from you guys, and we need to come and support these guys. So as Stephen mentioned, we are starting a brand new series today called Rule Number One. If anyone ever comes to you and says, hey, remember this, this is Rule Number One, you know that what they are saying is really important. You shouldn't forget it. You should always live by that particular rule. When I was a kid, I had a friend growing up whose father had lots of Rule Number Ones. Whenever he would correct his son, he would say, well, you know not to do that. That's rule number one, whatever it was. I, I remember, for example, when, when my friend got his learner's license and I was in the car with the two of them as he was trying to teach my friend how to drive, he had all these different rule number ones. He, he would say, for example, always keep your eyes on the road. That is rule number one when you're driving. Always watch the road. Or if my friend reached to change the radio station, he would say, oh, no, no, rule number one, 10 and two, both hands on the wheel. You always remember that. Or or put your seatbelt on before you put it in drive. That's rule number one. Or always check your blind spot before you change a lane. That's rule number one. And always keep a safe distance between you and the car in front of you. That's rule number one. Now, I realize that it is logically impossible to have more than one rule number one. However, now, years later, I get what my friend's dad was trying to do. If you're teaching someone how to drive, there are a lot of very essential truths that they need to remember when driving if they're going to stay safe on the road. The same is true in life. There are certain truths in life that we need to always remember and always live by. And in this series, we're going to cover a number of different rule number ones. The first one today that we will talk about is this. Number one, rule number one is God loves me unconditionally. God loves me unconditionally. Now, if you're a follower of Christ, here's what that means. God loves you, period, without condition. When you become a follower of Christ, regardless of what you have done, regardless of what you do today, and regardless of what you do in the future, God's love for you never, ever changes. I think this truth is best illustrated in the passage that Stephen read earlier. Just to give you some context for this, the book of Hosea was written 800 years before Christ, about 2,800 years ago. At that point in Israel's history, the nation of Israel was divided into two nations or what were called kingdoms. There was a northern kingdom, which was called Israel or sometimes called Ephraim, And then there was a southern kingdom that was called Judah. Both of these kingdoms, even though they had separate governments, they had separate kings, because of their history, they were very much connected culturally and economically. And at this point in their history, both of these nations were doing very well financially. That meant they were having success with their crops. 
That meant that their livestock were increasing. That meant that they were building buildings. That meant that their armies were strong. And especially for the upper crust of their societies, this meant that they were able to enjoy the finer luxuries of life. However, while they were doing very well financially, they were extremely unsuccessful spiritually. Their hearts had drifted away from the Lord. Uh, The wealthy took advantage of the poor, In their worship, they simply went through the motions. Their hearts were not in it. And especially in the northern kingdom, most shockingly, they began to worship the God of the nations around them, a God named Baal, who is a fertility God. And the way that you worship Baal was through these sexual acts that they believed would would, uh, honor Baal in a way that he would send rain, that he would cause your crops to grow. And one of the things that they would do is they would go to a temple to the god Baal and there they would visit a religious prostitute and they would pay their money and they would spend time with this prostitute and they believed that would bring them Baal's favor on their crops and their crops would grow. And since they were having success financially, since they were having good crops, they believed that this was working. Bottom line was this. God protected them, God blessed them, God gave them increase in their crops and increase in their livestock. And instead of turning and thanking God, they patted themselves on the back and they turned and thanked the God of the nations around them, a God who was not really a God at all. So God does something incredibly unusual. In the northern kingdom, there lived this young man, a teenager, maybe in his early 20s, a young man named Hosea. And Hosea had felt this call of God on his life to be a prophet, somewhat equivalent to, the, to a modern-day preacher, maybe a little bit different, but he felt this call of God to be a prophet. And yet God comes to him and tells him, this young man, this prophet, to go and to marry a prostitute. And not just any prostitute, but a prostitute who worked at the temple to the god Baal, a religious prostitute, this woman who made her living in the arms of other men. Imagine that for a moment. This young man feels the call of God on his life to go and to proclaim God's truths, and yet his first message is not a 30-minute sermon with these weighty truths and spiritual insights. It's a marriage. But it's not a marriage to the daughter of the local rabbi or some girl from a a good upstanding Jewish family. It's a marriage to a prostitute, a a prostitute who worked at the temple to the god Baal. Imagine, if you will, for just a moment, how that conversation between God and Hosea went. Hosea, it's time for you to get married. Well, God, that's great because I've been thinking the same thing. I mean, every preacher needs a good preacher's wife, right? And you know, God, there is this girl that I've had my eye on. She sings on the praise team at church and and she has this heart for you and she comes from this wonderful family. And God, if you don't mind me saying so, when you created her, good work. God, I mean, she is super easy on the eyes and, and God, I am ready. Let's do this thing tomorrow. Hosea, that's not the girl that I have in mind. Well, God, I have to tell you, I'm a little disappointed. I mean, I really had my eye on her. I was really hoping she was the one, but you know, you're God and you know what's best. And if it's not her, I'm sure it's someone that's even better. She's from a wonderful family. She is a good girl who really has a heart for you. 
Hosea, she's not a good girl, and she doesn't come from a good family. In fact, she's a prostitute. She's a religious prostitute who works at the temple. And I want you to go and marry her. God, what are you saying? Are you kidding me, God? Why would I go and do such a foolish, such a crazy, such maybe even an immoral thing as going and marrying someone like that? Do you want me to embarrass myself? Do you want me to embarrass my family? Do you want me to embarrass my profession? Hey God, do you want me to embarrass you by doing this? Why would you ask me to do this? Hosea, her name is Gomer, and I want you to marry her. And at this point, that's all that I'm telling you. You see, when you signed up to follow me, there was not this out clause if you disagree with what I was asking you to do. And I am God, and I know what's best, and I want you to go and to marry this girl named Gomer. So Hosea does. He goes and he marries this temple prostitute, and according to what Stephen read earlier, they begin to have children together. Uh, the first child they named Jezreel. Jezreel was a site in northern Israel where this awful massacre had taken place. It was this bloody massacre. And it was, that name was to be a sign to the Israelites that their monarchy would come to an end with a bloody massacre. The next child is a girl. They name her Lo Ruhamah, which means not loved in Hebrew. It was a sign to the people that they were acting like a people not loved by God. The next child's a son. They name him Lo-Ami, which means in Hebrew, not my people. It was to be a sign to the people that they were acting like a people who were not the people of God. Every child, every birth, every name was to be a message to the people of how they were acting to, toward God. Like a people who were not his people, like a people who did not deserve his love, like a people who deserved to be massacred in this bloody battle. All the while this is happening, there's Gomer. Gomer tries her best to become, at this point, the respected preacher's wife. She tries to be the one who is faithful to Hosea, to be the one that he would be proud of, to bear his children and, and to stay faithful to him. But there is the lure of her old life stirring in her soul. Hosea was not a wealthy fellow, and, and she remembered when she worked at the temple that these men would come and they would bring her nice things. They would bring her expensive dresses and, and fine perfumes and, and food and drink and all these luxuries of life. And, and while it meant the shame of having to give herself to these men, she liked those things. She enjoyed those things. She felt like for a while that she could pretend to be a princess as she wore the the luxurious items that they would bring. And after a while, she finds that the lure of that old lifestyle is stirring in her soul. And plus, this Hosea fellow, he was just a little weird. I mean, first of all, preacher boy asked her, a prostitute, to marry him. I mean, that alone was really strange, but then they start having children, and he says, well, God told me to name this child Jezreel, and not my people, and not loved. I mean, what happened to names like Ashley, or Brad, or John, or David? He was just kind of odd. And after a while, she just continued to feel the lure of her old lifestyle stirring at her soul. One night, Hosea gets ready for bed. 
He looks around and, and Gomer's not there. He goes throughout the village trying to find his wife and he can't find her anywhere. He comes home and he waits and he waits and finally about midnight she comes in. Her hair's a mess. She's wearing a new dress, an expensive dress, one that he certainly could not have afforded on his salary. She reeks of heavy perfume. He starts to scream at her to ask her what she's been doing and where she's been. But he knows the answer. Why ask the question when you know the answer? And so he goes that night and he sleeps on the couch and he looks at the ceiling and he prays to God, God, why did you have me marry this woman? Why have you had me marry this woman who cannot stay faithful to me? But then somewhere deep in his soul, he thinks, maybe she'll get it. Maybe she'll quit this running around. Maybe she'll quit cheating on me. A few weeks go by and once again, it's, he's getting ready for bed and Gomer's nowhere to be found. He again goes throughout the village looking, trying to find his wife. He can't find her anywhere. He comes home. He, he waits up. After midnight, she's still not there. He spends the night pacing the floor. Finally, about the time the sun comes up, she comes stumbling in. Again, her hair's in a mess. She reeks of heavy perfume. Her eyes are bloodshot. She, she looks like she's just had the roughest night ever. And this time he does scream and he does yell and he asks her what she's been doing and, and where she's been and he's even tempted to grab her by the shoulders and, and to shake her and try to shake some sense into her. But instead he just leaves the house. And he, as he walks the dusty streets, he looks up into the morning sky and he says, God, why? Why have you had me marry this woman who cannot stay faithful to me? But then somewhere deep in his soul, he thinks, maybe, maybe she gets it. Maybe she'll return to me. Maybe she'll quit this cheating on me. A few more weeks go by, same deal. He gets ready for bed. She's not there. Goes throughout the village trying to find his wife, can't find her anywhere. He comes home, spends all night pacing, she's not there. The sun comes up the next day, she's still not home. He walks and paces, looks again in the village, still can't find her. Finally, about noon, about the time the sun is at its height in the sky, he says, I've got to go find her. And so he goes to the local temple where they dedicated, uh, the, where they worship Baal, the place that he knew that she would have gone, and he begins to walk through the temple area. And he asks, has anyone seen Gomer? Has anyone seen my wife? Has anyone seen Gomer? Anyone? Anyone? And finally someone speaks up and says, oh, I know who you're talking about. Gomer, she worked here years ago. And I haven't seen her in a number of years. Well, that is in, until lately. She's been around lately. And yes, yeah, she, she was actually, she was actually here last night. And, and I don't know where she is now, but but yeah, I, I saw her last night. And Hosea says, well, look, if you don't mind, just tell her my name is Hosea. And if you would just tell her that, that I'm at home and if, I'm, and if she'll just come there and I'm what? Just tell her I was here looking for her. And Hosea goes back home and he paces and he paces and he worries and he frets and he thinks and he frets. And when he can't come up with any solution, he finally does the only thing he knows to do. He prays. 
and he gets down on his knees and he cries out to God, but it is not the kind of prayer that you hear in church. He does not use a lot of religious, sophisticated language. Hosea gets gut level, brutally honest with God. God, you asked me to marry this woman and she's given me three children, but it looks like now I'm gonna be a single dad. It was bad enough that you asked me to go and marry a prostitute, but now she can't stay faithful to me. She's cheated on me. She's running around with these other men. She's gone, and I don't know where she is. God, why in the world have you asked me to do this? And then Hosea hears the voice of God again. But this time it's not a command. This time it's a question. He hears the voice of God say, Hosea, how do you feel about Gomer? Well, God, let's see. She's cheated on me. She's left me with these three kids that I'm going to have to raise on my own. She's embarrassed me in front of my family. She's embarrassed me in front of my friends. I'm now the laughing stock of the town. God, yes, yeah, she's done all these things to me. And God says, Hosea, I know what she's done. I'm God. I've seen it all. I know exactly what she's done. Here's what I'm asking. How do you feel about your wife, Gomer? Well, God, I just told you, like, all my friends laugh at me. She's cheated on me. She's left me here with these kids. Hosea, I know all of that. Here's what I'm asking you. Deep down in your heart of hearts, how do you feel about Gomer? Well, God, if I'm really honest, and I, I don't want anyone else to know this because she has embarrassed me in front of everyone, but God, just between me and you, I still love her. I am still madly head over heels in love with her in spite of all that she has done, in spite of her cheating and her, her unfaithfulness, I am still, still in love with her. Good. Now you know how I feel. God, what do you mean how you feel? Now you know how I feel about my people of Israel. They have cheated on me time and time again. They have run after other gods time and time again. I have blessed them. I have given them good crops. I have protected them from their enemies. I've given them financial success. And yet they have patted one another on the back and turned to thank the false gods of the nations around them. If I was to do, to do what was right, if I was to do what was just, if I was to give them what they deserve, I would wipe them off the face of the planet. But Hosea, I want you to understand this. Even after all they have done, I am still madly in love with them. I am still head over heels in love with my people Israel. Not because of who they are, not because of what they've done, but because of who I am and the fact that I have chosen them to be my people. That pit that you feel in your stomach about your wife when she has cheated on you, I feel that same pit when my people Israel cheat on me. The tears that well up in your eyes when you picture her in the arms of another man, I have that same feeling when they turn and worship Baal and worship these other false gods. All those emotions that you experience about your wife, I feel exactly the same way. Oh God, now I get it. Good, Hosea. 
Now that you get it, I want you to take that emotion and I want you to take that pain and I want you to take that heartache that you feel and I want you to go and I want you to preach this message to the Israelites. With everything that's in you, with all the passion that you have within you, I want you to tell them how I feel about them. That in spite of their unfaithfulness, in spite of their cheating, in spite of their sin, that I am still madly in love with them. In fact, here's the message, Hosea, that I want you to go and to give to my people Israel. How can I give you up Ephraim? How can I hand you over Israel? My heart is changed within me. All my compassion is aroused. I will not carry out my fierce anger, nor will I turn and devastate Ephraim. For I am God and not man, the Holy One among you. Hosea, I want you to go and to preach this message. But before you do, there's something I need you to do. Your wife has been bought and sold by a man who no longer has use for her. She has been auctioned off at the local auction house. I need you to go and to buy your wife back. Hosea leaves his house and he goes to the auction house in town, the place where they would sell people to the highest bidder at these auctions. He walks into the back of the auction house and he looks at the stage at the front and he sees the auctioneer and he sees various people on the stage and he looks and there's his wife, Gomer. She's half naked. Her hair is a mess. She looks like she's been roughed up. She's looking down at the floor and she's just one of the individuals up there that's ready to be sold like a piece of merchandise. Finally, it's her turn and, and the auctioneer shouts out to the crowd, this is a common prostitute ready to be sold to the highest bidder. Man grabs Gomer by the arm and he thrusts her to the front of the stage. And as she's moved to the front of the stage, she looks up and for just a moment, she sees the crowd and she sees in the back of the room, the man who is still legally her husband. And she thinks, what, what in the world's he doing here? I mean, who knows? He's crazy. He married me. I mean, obviously he's crazy. Why, why is he here? And then she thinks, I, I know why he's here. He's going to watch this whole thing play out. He's going to watch someone buy me. And then he's going to come up to me and he's going to stick his finger in my face, jab it right in my chest and say, see, this is what you deserve. Had you stayed with me, you would not be in this place. Had you not cheated on me, you would not be in this place. But you're getting exactly what you deserve. I know that's what he's going to do, she thinks. Of course, that's what anyone would do. That's what I deserve. And then she thinks, you know, as crazy as he is, he was the only one who truly loved me. Not like these other men, not like the love that I've had for for an hour or maybe a night, not that kind of cheap love. He's the only one who truly, deeply, unconditionally loved me. And just as those thoughts are swirling around her head, the voice of the auctioneer brings her back to reality. 
And the auctioneer shouts out to the crowd again, here is a common prostitute ready to be sold to the highest bidder. We will start the bidding at five pieces of silver. Do I have five pieces of silver? Anyone, thank you for that hand. Five pieces of silver, six pieces of silver. Anyone, anyone, thank you for that hand. Six pieces of silver. Is there anyone, seven pieces of silver? Seven, anyone, seven, no? No one will bid seven, no one, no one. Seven pieces of silver, okay, fine. Then going once, six pieces of silver, going once, going twice, and before he can, he can slap his hand down, a hand shoots up in the back and yells out, 15 pieces of silver. The crowd is stunned. The mouth of the auctioneer drops open. He says, sir, are you crazy? 15 pieces of silver? She's not worth half that. And Hosea simply repeats his bid. 15 pieces of silver. Auctioneer shrugs his shoulders. Says, okay, 15 pieces of silver. Going once, going twice. Sold to the man in back for 15 pieces of silver. Gomer is then moved to the side of the stage. Hosea comes down to meet her. He's got a blanket in his arms. He takes the blanket and he wraps the blanket around her half-naked body. She thinks, well, this is it. I know what he's doing. He's bought me and he will take me home and he will treat me like a common slave. And I will have to serve him in whatever way he wants for the rest of his life. And, And that's what I deserve. That's what anyone would do. That's what he should do. And she expects him to say, now you're going to get it. But as he takes that blanket and he wraps it around her body, he pulls her close and she feels his mouth against her ear and she hears him whisper, I love you. I love you. Quit running around. Come home. I miss you. The kids miss you. Quit this running around and come home and live with me as my wife. Years ago, I found myself on the auction block. The auctioneer said, here is one who has cheated on God time and time again. Here is one who is a loser Here is one who has felt the sting and the consequence of sin and the auctioneer was exactly right. I was lonely and broken and ashamed. And the auctioneer says, is there anyone who will take this one? Is there anyone who will bid on this one, this loser? And a hand went up in the crowd and said, I'll take him, I'll bid on him. And the auctioneer said, sir, what will you bid? And Jesus Christ stepped up and said, I'll bid it all. I will give my life. That is the gospel. 800 years before Jesus Christ came, Hosea here through his life and his marriage proclaims the gospel that in Christ, we are loved unconditionally, period. There's nothing that you can do There's nothing that you have done. There's nothing you will do that will ever change the love of God for you in Jesus Christ. Do you know this love? Do you know this unconditional love of God? If you don't, today can be the day 
that your life is forever and eternally changed.